Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What, how I work, my personal like, design philosophy is set a theme and don't set this theme to be kind of broad and direct at the same time. My theme for 0.6e was friendship, and let that theme guide you through your design process. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, Stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Draw Your Dice. I have a very special, again, international guest with us today. This will be my second one. I'm all over the globe, baby. We're all over the globe, baby. He is a... Film major over in Brussels, Belgium. He has created two games that have already solved problems in my own games just from reading them. Uh, everyone, I want to welcome Max to the show. <sighs> hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> it's great to have you here um, today, Max. Thank you. It's great being here. Um, Excited to see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> For the folks at home, would you give a, a small introduction? Because you'll do a much better job introducing yourself than I will. I hope. Uh, would you introduce yourself to the people at home as you display yourself to the world? Okay. I am MV. I also go by Max. I use he, they pronouns. And yeah, I study film, screenwriting here in Belgium. It is... Very interesting, I guess. And I started writing games in May of this year, and I've been enjoying it so far. And it's kind of a great way to still do what I do good, which is writing, 
but have a different perspective on what I am actually writing and for what reason I am doing it. So, yeah, it's been great. Awesome. Max, as I always like to start off the show, I mean, we've already displayed that, that you're in university over in, in Belgium and mm-hmm. you know, studying film, but I like to remind people that not everyone started out as a game designer. They always find their own mm-hmm. path here. So would you, before we get into the nitty gritty of your games, would you kind of tell everyone maybe what your first tabletop game was and maybe which one sort of caused you to want to design games as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit in life story. Hit Um, us with it. Hit us with it. (laughs) Growing up, I didn't... I think this was like the cause is that I didn't really have a good computer. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a desktop and I got my laptop like very late in high school. So growing up, I wasn't very like into video games because I couldn't like play anything, and all the kids around were like, "Oh, this new game came out. Are you gonna play it?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> I don't have I don't have any console. I don't have anything to play it on." So, and that's why I kind of got into tabletop games. Start with board games played board games with my family, with my younger brother. Uh, We played board games and then I kind of wanted to broaden my, what I play and with whom I play games. And I went to my local uh, game store, started joining for kind of game evenings and stuff. And there I saw some people rolling dice and pretending to be some wizards and stuff. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> so I si- signed up for a D&D game. And that's probably the only compliment I'm going to give D&D is thank you for being a gateway, <laughs> gateway game, mm-hmm. uh, for me at least. And then I played a couple of sessions. I was very into it. And our DM, who I'm also grateful for, <laughs> he ran Mothership, the very like first like alpha version of Mothership, like very stripped down, and it was like the best game of my life. I think I, I will probably rank it top one still. <laughs> it's like it was so good, and it showed me that RPGs are not like, first, they're not only fantasy, because Mothership is a science fiction horror game. And second, that games can be very like easy to learn and easy to understand, because the main difference was that in Mothership, we created characters in like five minutes, all of us. And I understood all of the rules of the game in like in the first 15 minutes of playing, mm-hmm. which and D&D, I still do not understand. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, Mothership. And then I went on the website. And then I saw like Tuesday Night Games. Okay, interesting company. And then they have their own Discord. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I started like seeing this kind of behind the scenes that there's also a community behind games that people actually like talk about it, talk about 
how to play games better, how to design games together, how to do new cool stuff with it. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. But I don't have time for that because that's when <laughs> school started. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of spent some autumn months studying, studying. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about like, what if I made a game? <laughs> and it, it was kind of this, it wasn't the lowest priority on my to-do list and it wasn't the back of my mind. And I was thinking about it. I kind of scratched some notes in my notebook during lessons, like writing stats that I could have in my game. And some time passed and then I found out about game jams, that game jams exist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> on itch.io and I found a very cool jam called the 6E jam which encouraged participants to create their own version of 6E which is basically five the next version after 5E basically mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so create D&D &D but better <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and I looked through the entries and there were like nothing like I ever saw a RPG like could be because how I imagined them I came kind of with mothership I came from a OSR background I was like stats numbers dice like structure like dungeon structure and stuff like that and you have this rules are very rigid and you have to follow them follow the dice and stuff like that but after seeing 6e stuff 6e GMless uh, with canvases and these like grand ideas about world building and that games are about conversation and stuff like that. I was extremely inspired by it and I wrote a rules light game for that jam and that was my first game. And also because of that jam, I kind of met some people from the brain trust and yeah, I was just going on about making games uh, since then. Also kind of because at the same time it was May back then and that's when lockdown started mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had a lot of filmmaking plans at that point. But yeah, no films were filmed <laughs> that summer. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time making and thinking about games because yeah, more free time, I guess. and. Ooh, yeah, that was that's my story. Great, I love all of that. It and a little bit. We were off. I can't remember if we were off air, and I think we were. But you said you've been you've just been creating games since May of this year. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, May this year. So you've been doing this for a little over seven seven months Six. now. That's, exactly. Yep. And you have three <laughs> three games out, I believe. No, you're not correct. Heard. <laughs> Let me let me just count on my HIO page. Yeah. Do you mean like standalone games or just whatever? Yeah, just standalone games. <laughs> okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, mm -hmm. ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 14 games. 14 games. 
14 games over seven months. The the key is that they are very, very small mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. So two of them I named are, they fit on like a index card. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're index card games. Mm -hmm. Most of the stuff is like one page or two page. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, they're very small and they allow me to kind of share ideas I have in a very quick and efficient way, mm -hmm. which I enjoy about small games. And especially those index card ones, it was for the index card jam. <laughs> Most of the games I have are submitted for some kind of jam mm -hmm. because I get very like inspired by game jams by like create a game, but it should fit on an index card. And I'm like... Wow, I can think of already so much stuff just utilizing this format. Mm -hmm. And e even if you don't have like ideas right away, you can look for submissions and see what other people came up with with this format and kind of riff off that and just yeah, bring your ideas to what the game jam proposes. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did with yeah, just ninety percent of my games, I think. Well, perfect. That's I'm impressed. I have a I've just been delving into game design for probably the last four, three, four months, thinking about making mm -hmm. a game, and uh, I don't have one yet. But it's also because <laughs> I always bite off bigger. I, I want to make something larger than uh, mm -hmm. two or three pages for sure. But I think that's a really good point to try to make something that potentially tests out mechanics, right? Because you said that a lot of your games are like just kind of uh, smaller ideas that, that uh -huh. get pushed out onto itch and through game jams. So I think a good takeaway from your story and sort of your beginnings is that if you have something like, you know, I'm working on this, on this chain combo system mechanic, why don't I make a little two-page fighting game and mm -hmm. see how people react to the chain system. And then I'm like, okay, we can we can iterate from there, right? I think that's a really mm -hmm. smart way of, of testing out ideas for potentially a larger game. Yeah, I think that's great, especially because the, like, the very first system I was thinking about was a Mothership hack. I looked at the page count for Mothership, and it's like, I think it's 40 or 60 pages or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay... If I want to make a real game, I have to hit that page count. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, when I saw games on itch and they were like one pages, three pages, and stuff like that, I was like, it changed my perspective on what a game has to be to be a game, and it can be anything. <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> At this point, mm -hmm. my opinion mm -hmm. is, and yeah, that's why I have so much stuff on my page. It's like one of those is just like. I scribbled over like a piece of paper. I just physically made the bullet point uh, list of rules and scanned it, and that's a game. The note card game I talked about, it's, I think it's called like walking something. Mm -hmm. I already forgot what it's called. Like I have so much <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's about basically you write questions for a friend and the friend has to find locations that answer those questions. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a place that smells the best. And you have to go and find, like, a park with flowers or something. Mm -hmm. and that was a game that was my sort of 
an emotional response to lockdown mm-hmm. because I was kind of, I don't like sitting inside too much. And in this small apartment, it was not very <laughs> fun. So I made a game and I wrote some questions for myself. Okay, I'm going to find these places. I'm going to safely walk with a map. I, I write some safety tools even. <laughs> mm-hmm. in, this, in, the, in an index card, I wrote some safety tools. That's another point that safety tools are always important, even in a small game. Mm-hmm. I wrote like wear a mask, don't like, don't be like disrespectful to coronavirus measures, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So you can walk around and like find places that you may have sort of like forgotten how they feel mm-hmm. while being in quarantine. So yeah, that's it's just like an idea game and. Yeah, a lot of games I could describe like that. This idea I have, I put it on a page and it's like out. I don't sort of do these overarching, long games, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You don't, you know, you're not currently looking to make Blades in the Dark or Mothership no. or D&D <laughs> 5e, right? Over three books. What? But uh, yeah, let's let's start to dive into the games that that you have made that sort of hold mm-hmm. uh, a little bit higher of a page count. So <laughs> I know the first one you want to kind of talk about is zero point six e, which mm-hmm. I am a fan of. I love the graphic design <laughs> of it. I love how simple the rules are. I often get really attracted to games with rule sets that, I mean, essentially the rules do fit on two pages, but if you get this game as beautiful graphic design, I do highly recommend, and that link will be in the show notes down below. But why don't you talk a little bit about the inspiration for, I know it was part of a game jam, as you said, but mm-hmm. what was sort of the, like, why did you want to make this version of Point Six e mm-hmm. Well, I can say that very Certainty. <laughs> I already said that I came from an OSR background. I was yeah very into that style of gaming, mm-hmm. and I sort of at the time of making of this game, I found out about Arnisonian style of play, which is which kind of just describes the way David Arneson and his friends used to play in like what the seventies, mm-hmm. and there's just there's just one thing I liked about that, because most stuff is just a bit iffy. Mm-hmm. But one thing is that you roll the GM and the player both roll two d six, and whoever rolls higher has the narrative control of what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And what like really, really attracted me to this idea was that not only the GM has narrative control, but the players too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about GMless games about <laughs> at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, most stuff I played, it's like you roll and the GM explains you what happens. And the player doesn't really have a lot to say except like how their character behaves. Mm-hmm. And I really like this idea that the player also can change the world around them. And yeah, and they have this like magic power mm-hmm. <laughs> of controlling this fantasy world. 
So my whole game is built around this mechanic of rolling to d6, and who rolls higher narrates what happens next. There have been so many iterations of 0.6e, because when I first released the game for the 6e game jam, it looked nothing like the version you can see on my H page now. I mm -hmm. think I might like put it on my Twitter feed, <laughs> the, the image of how it looked like at first. Mm -hmm. Sort of like to show people how games change. But the initial version was only two pages long. And it was different in a way that the players still was not on the same sort of bar as the GM. So the GM was still a bit, like had a bit more control over the story than the players. And when I made that game, I kind of didn't realize that. And right now I'm not very proud of the first version. Mm -hmm. But then the new version, I sort of tried to make the GM and the players as equal as I could while still keeping this role relevant. Mm -hmm. Not doing it totally GMless, still having the GM, but making them like equals in this game, basically. Mm -hmm. And I was guided by this principle while making the game. That's great. I think one thing that I really like about more modern style games, especially when we talk about things like GMless games or GM light games, I really... Because my, my first game was also D&D &D 5e. So mm -hmm. there, I think there's this weird dichotomy of that structure. I mean, it's I know that there are people out there who love the game. And I'm not saying don't love mm -hmm. the game if you love the game. But for me, I always love these games that allow that give mechanics that allow for everyone at the table to have setting control, as you said, that players have the capacity to also shift things about the goblins dungeon or to shift things about how the kingdom operates or anything of that nature, because you, I think it's a crime to have the world built through a single lens of perspective, being the GM, where if you have everyone at the table, four or five lenses of perspective, you can certainly create something way more complex, way more um, immersive and, and experiential. Experiential? Is that the mm. word? <laughs> I'm not an English expert. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, me neither. But creates a, a greater experience at the table for everyone involved. And uh, I really like that that's the direction you sort of stepped up to as your game went over multiple iterations. How is is this currently like the final ver or the current final version of Point Six Year? Do you have something in the works? <laughs> I don't want to say no. I don't want to say yes. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Because right now on the H page, I say this game is being worked on, mm -hmm. which is true. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of additions I would like to make to the game. Mm -hmm. So I built the new version of 0.6e around prompts. Mm -hmm. Essentially, prompts are king <laughs> in this game. The players have prompts to help them build the narrative, and the GM also has prompts mm -hmm. 
to build a narrative, which is sort of how I equalized the roles mm -hmm. of player and GM, is by they both rely on prompts. Mm -hmm. And ideally, I would want to uh, greatly expand the list of prompts and like categorize them mm -hmm. so you could easily reference, for example, right now I'm in the fight, what sort of interesting prompts can I use to progress this fight in an interesting way? Mm -hmm. And for the GM, I sort of have little categories of places, basically. So we have different prompts for woods, different prompts for the town, the mountains, the river. I would expand on those mm -hmm. for sure. Would add more sort of locations, probably. More specific ones, maybe. Like a magical forest. I can't think anything off the top of my head. Uh, maybe some sort of caves or some, mm -hmm. yeah, some like locations that really sort of can expand the setting the players and the GM are building together. Mm -hmm. And all of the prompts that I have right now, I try to make them as open as possible. So I, I don't want to lock in into one sort of play style or one sort of world that you build. Mm -hmm. I It's sort of a medieval fantasy-esque setting, right? But it, it doesn't have any strict rules as to what it is. So, yeah, I don't want to make a rule book about monsters. I don't want to make a rule book, oh, this is the map of the world, this is what it is. I, yeah, just expanding the prompts, expanding imagination of what you could, what stories you could build from this game, essentially. I think that, so basically you're using open-ended prompts as mm -hmm. sort of move tools for different mm -hmm. roles uh, of the game. And I like that a lot because you're, I mean, obviously this is not obviously because if someone's listening to this and hasn't read the game, <laughs> essentially there's no tactical map situation happening for a point six E. So it's nice to have a bit more of a narrative style game that I think a lot of people want from D and D, but you know, as far as D and D five E is concerned, it is very much combat first, ask questions later style of game. And that's just how most of the moves or abilities are shaped around. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about these, especially this consideration of expanding the prompts, I think that it's almost like a, you know, powered by the apocalypse move set or a monster of the week. It actually has, for me, it feels very monster mm -hmm. of the week in terms of what you have going on for the different roles, especially the GM role as well. Mm -hmm. So... I think I think all of that is very very cool. Um, I was right now while I was explaining this, <laughs> I thought of um, a. It feels to me like a No Dice No Masters game, mm -hmm. and I was definitely inspired by No Dice No Masters, which is a GMless sort of like system, where you have character sheets and you have sheets for locations. Mm -hmm. And the players exchange those while playing. And the moves are sort of also prompts that guide how you play the game. So different character classes would have different prompts and different locations also have different prompts. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what I also have here. But instead, the GM 
only has locations and the players only have their character. Mm -hmm. Which I, yeah, I feel like it's a it's, it's fair game. <laughs> yeah. Because I sort of hacked what I liked about No Dice No Masters and kind of sort of also distilled it, deconstructed it into this sort of style of playing. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's brilliant. We, me and Max had played a, was it Camp Sleepaway? Was that what it was called? Is it was it's just the game is just called Sleep Away. Just called Sleep Away. By Jade Dragon. Yeah. That that was a, a version of a No Dice No Masters game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was exactly that. It was also a uh belonging at South Belonging game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you want to say about it? <laughs> no, I just want to say that uh, I that was the first time I had ever played something to that effect. Mm -hmm. I very much have played games that have a more tactical, skills-based, move-based systems involved. Mm -hmm. So I, I found it really intriguing and honestly really satisfying to just talk character. Mm -hmm. with with each other and and also bring locations to life as characters having these moves mm -hmm. available to you to kind of give a place a personality right i think i think just that is very cool and something i love seeing from more modern style games and when i say mar modern i mean like the last eight years or so to that effect <laughs> you know i'm no i'm no role-playing tabletop historian so someone else can <laughs> Correct me on that, but I, I love that intent behind your game and then combining it with sort of the OSR tropes of of D&D &D and chainmail and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I Yeah, I did keep some aspects of maybe not tactical gameplay, but mm -hmm. sort of, yeah, as you say, chainmail, this sort of type of play. I have hits in the game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think... Now that you asked me about like expanding the game, I think I would expand hits because they stayed the same over... <laughs> I think that that's the only element that stayed the same over every iteration of the game mm -hmm. as uh, the hits because I'm... I kind of like how minimal this health system is mm -hmm. and I think it's just... It's perfect as it is and I didn't want to like touched in any way because it's just it's simple enough to work and I I like how it works and I I don't want to touch combat at all <laughs> mm -hmm. while making this game so mm -hmm. it, it's just sort of like this element that just works and it just works great <laughs> I don't want to touch it essentially yeah you have three hits armor gives you one hit shield gives you one hit if you get hit, you remove a hit. Mm -hmm, <laughs> That's mm -hmm. it. Yep. If you have zero, you kind of you fall down and you feel bad. <laughs> um, might <laughs> I might expand on like also this prompt sort of idea. And if you maybe if you have two hits, you have one set of prompts. If you have one hit, you have another set of prompts. Mm. So you kind of can you can role play like being injured basically. And getting hit isn't just like losing some sort of number. It's also, it, it will also have a narrative impact, mm -hmm. which I think Blades games actually do quite well. Yeah. With their harms. Sort of stress, stress and harms. Yeah. They very, what they do very well is they guide the player to have some sort of 
impact on the narrative while being harmed by stuff. And have these levels, yeah, the levels, one, two, three of harm. Mm -hmm. I could, yeah, I could use that in my game for <laughs> Because it's also one, two, three. So it's kind of easy to see if you're at one hit, it kind of corresponds to a level of free harm. Mm -hmm. it, I think it's the same severity. Mm -hmm. So I could, yeah, I could use something from that game. <laughs> and, and that's, that's kind of my design process. I, I look at different games, what they do well, and I, and I kind of take that in my game. And I adapt it to my style of what I want to tell. So that was like a mini design session, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're you're listening to a live iteration, everyone. <laughs> that was a live iteration. I'm gonna get some notes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I love I love the whole system. I love this would be one of those games that I would present to someone who had never played tabletop games before. But maybe not so much from like a video game background, because I what mm -hmm. I what I found in my experience is that people who come from a video game background have played stuff like World of Warcraft or Guild Wars or whatever, mm -hmm. they actually tend to gravitate towards the D and D five e. But for people who are more show or film or book sort of leaning when it comes to imagination, I think that I would love to present this game to them be like hey let's invent some characters and let's explore some places and let's talk about what these places and people do in it right rather than saying like mm -hmm. okay you have to remember that an ability score of 18 gives you plus four modifiers <laughs> so then you have to add that to your hit and then that gives you plus seven like that's the game for D D 5e where i think th some of that stuff is a barrier to people who don't really come from like a you know, a video game background who are concerned with, like, numbers and stats and stuff. As you say this, I have a good example. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Because I kind of playtested this game with my family, like, internally, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess, with my younger brother. And, okay, the idea behind this game is that any sort of advantage you have gives you a plus one to the dice roll. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the maximum advantage you can have. Yeah. And my brother sort of like I swing a sword at this I don't know at this monster, and I'm like okay you have a plus one advantage, and he's like but it's a very cool sword, <laughs> it's it's still plus one, and then he's like what if I have this very big magical sword, and I'm, it's it's a still plus one I'm sorry yeah yeah and. He, he was very, very upset about this because he couldn't get a... I mean, I, I did some stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I did some homebrew to make it better for him. Sure, sure. But it, it just shows that it's not like a game for every type of player. Mm -hmm. And I understand that, like, sometimes you just want big numbers. I mean, mm, yeah, <laughs> that's why absolutely. I play Lancer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just sometimes you just want to roll a bunch of dice and get... A big number. It's it's a great feeling, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just that different types of players, different games. And mm -hmm. my game was very focused on creating these prompts. And while I was on topic of advantages, mm -hmm. it's a thing in my game. It's called bonds, mm -hmm. and the bonds you have decide if you get an advantage or the GM gets an advantage. And that's probably also a thing I'm going to expand on. 
because I took this idea of bonds. It's adapted from Whitehack, mm -hmm. which is this OSR game, and it's probably... I took the thing I like the most about that game, which is groups. Mm -hmm. That game has groups instead of... Groups are sort of how your character is defined in that game. You don't, have, you don't have races, you don't have classes, you just have groups. Mm -hmm. And groups can be anything. Groups can be, like I, I say in my game, it's Climber's Guild. Or a group can be, I don't know, people who like fishing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and your character is defined by those. And I was like, hmm, I'm going to use that. And that's how bonds came to be. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, you create two bonds one that's relevant to the character's role, and role is just sort of class. It's knight, wizard, cleric, ranger, which mm -hmm. I took from D and D, mm and -hmm. I'm not, I'm not gonna say sorry. About <laughs> that. Uh, you pick one of those, and another one related to a character in your group. And I really wanted to create sort of a feeling that bonds are gonna like grow with your group. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a lot of bonds with other people in your group. You're going to have a bond that you really, you're really good at fishing, but only when you're with this other person. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah, my second goal for this game was to make it about bonding, make it about friendship, make it about uh, relationship, growing through struggles, through adventure, through experiencing events together, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think Bonds sort of accomplished that, accomplishes this in a very like, minimalistic way, which I kind of enjoy. You can create a bond when you do something with another person, and that's it, basically. And when you use a bond, you get a plus one. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's, uh, it's an example that you don't like need a grand rule set to have some mm, very nice theme just built into your game just by having sort of this because i could i could just name it skills and that's it right mm -hmm. you can name it skills and you get skills by learning skills from a person who knows skills <laughs> mm -hmm. and but that would not sort of explain the theme of the game I'm trying to tell, which is friendship. <laughs> friendship is magic, essentially. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, the piece about like, when you say that you could call it skills, but you don't, you call it mm -hmm. bonds, right? Mm -hmm. I think something that I take away from that is choice of words for what may seem like the same mechanic has very differing evocations for the reader, right? When you say mm -hmm. that you would use groups for or kind of enhance bonds with groups and things like that, and that you can't really be good at fishing without another person or someone else who exists in the world or another organization, mm -hmm. I find it really cool that when when I think about games I can make, when you say this bonds of skills thing, I'm like, it blew my mind because when I think about how do I get stealth, well, someone taught me, right? And instead uh -huh. of saying like, I have the skill stealth because someone taught me, instead, 
I have this bond with the mm, spy master and that gives mm-hmm. me plus one the situations that a spy master would have. Like it creates a mm-hmm. wider, wider skill set for you to access narratively through whatever a spy master does, right? Mm-hmm. But the plus one or the advantage or whatever have you comes from that person, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I think that it allows you to really expand upon, or anyone who's designing a game with like a skill system, I think it's a great secondary option to elaborate a skill set from a person by showing it teacher first rather than skill first, right? It's sort of interesting also how language, I love playing with language. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what I do mm-hmm. <laughs> as a writer. And instead of saying, you have this skill, spy master, instead saying you have a bond with the spy master, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it changes your perspective like 180 degrees, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <laughs> one of my best tools when writing a game or anything is the thesaurus, sort of just looking up words. Mm-hmm. I look up definitions of words because English is uh, not quite uh, my first language. Sure, sure. Uh, and I look up definitions, I see what, I see how they're used, I look up up in different texts and see how can I just like twist this word to my kind of advantage. How can I extract more meaning from it? Can, how can I change the, per, the reader's perspective on something that I wrote using just a different word? Yeah, I think language is great. <laughs> language is weird, language is great. And, and powerful for sure. <laughs> wow, that I am learning so much from you right now. It is <laughs> great. And I I'm hope learning that... a lot about myself too, about my own games and about how I do games just by talking to you. I think it, it's great having conversations with other people. <laughs> about Absolutely. Stuff you make, yeah. So for point sixty, you also have sort of a index card system for magic items here. Mm, Would you yes. <laughs> talk a tiny bit about that as well? It's, I want to have magic in this game because I think magic is cool. Mm-hmm. And I... Wow, it's a long story about this. Do you know the game Ten Candles? Yeah, I actually do. <laughs> I think you would recognize this as being the character creation process from Ten mm-hmm. Candles. Yeah, absolutely. And when I played Ten Candles, it was a great feeling, and I really enjoyed how all of the like players whom I played it, they were just shocked <laughs> when... Okay, I'm going to explain the system very quick, and then mm-hmm. I will explain why they were shocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 10 Candles character creation, you have two index cards. On one, you write a vice of your character, and on the other, you write a virtue of your character. So you write why your character is bad, and on the other, you write why your character is good. Mm -hmm. And then you pass one card to the left and the other to the right. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) in the end, you get like a totally almost random character because you get basically advice from a person to the... Okay, I'm bad at directions, but (laughs) you basically get vice and virtue from two different people who fought about making this about them but it's about you actually Mm -hmm. and I just (laughs) 
I didn't enjoy the shock, but it was very fun to see the shock on their faces when they're like, oh no, my character, like, yeah. it's, it's a different person now, <laughs> <laughs> essentially. And then they had to, like, use this to kind of, to their advantage. And that's also kind of what I like about OSR games a little bit, is that essentially you create a character from what you're given. Mm-hmm. You roll some dice, and you're old. I know a person who is good at archery, but is very bad at finding keys. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and now you have to think about like, okay, who is this person actually? With using just those elements, mm-hmm. and I think that's a great sort of feeling and great game feel to it which I wanted to have in my game, which is why I kind of lifted this system for creating magic items. And I think that also creates a very unique bond. I'm going to use this word again <laughs> with mm-hmm. your magic item. Mm-hmm. Where, like, okay, in this world, magic maybe not, it's not 100% like perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's why you kind of get switched up with vices and virtues of your magic item. And then you have this sword that's comprised of two different elements that may or may not contradict each other. Sometimes these vice and virtue can be totally like contradictory, sort of like strong but weak. And that's <laughs> like, okay. And then you try to interpret how, like, why they're strong and weak at the same time. And you, it kind of turns your gears in your brain, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you start like thinking about why your magic sword is like this, you kind of build a stronger connection to it. You feel like it's actually in, the, in this world that's in your character's pocket. It's, and the connection of your character to this magic item. And, yeah, I think it's just it, it's a great it's a great way to build a connection and build the world around this item. Mm-hmm. So I really love that you kind of have with that magic item system. I love that you have bonds sort of everywhere in your game, and it helps give everything character. And I think that. That is very, I just think it's a completely different experience from what people are getting from D&D 5e, because I feel like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot of people, the game does not do heavy lifting for character building. It doesn't give prompts. It doesn't give uh, any indication of how your character should act or be. It has like the alignment system, which doesn't matter in, in really any scope of like it doesn't play into anything about the game. So people don't care about it and unless they want to. And what I love about having sort of character building built in to everything of the game is that you're always creating these intricate complex relationships and sentiments with people items and the world of the game so i think you did a, a bang up job here for sure Ooh, can i talk about one more point yeah absolutely uh, that's what the show it's... is about it's about you <laughs> well i guess uh, it's about us it's about a conversation it's about the bond. <laughs> <laughs> Draw your dice. A bond between game designers. Yes. It's the last page. Not the last page, but the last part of the game. It's the spread titled Old Kingdoms. Mm -hmm. It's actually just travel rules. Mm -hmm. And also, like, it's not an explicit goal, but I do give a goal to the game. It's in italics. I think it's very hard to read. Mm -hmm. In the lower right corner, mm -hmm. you have to reach the old kingdoms soon, the mm -hmm. first sentence. And that's that's like, that's it. That's, that's your goal. That's the player's goal for the game. Mm -hmm. It's to reach the old kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And the whole game is kind of a, the journey where you build your bonds. It's the journey through which you will kind of go through a lot of places. You'll go, I guess, through the mountains and everything. I read Hobbit as a kid and I really liked Hobbit. Mm -hmm. And sort of this idea of, and I traveled also a lot, and this idea of traveling, exploring new places, meeting new people, it's, oh my God. It's very interesting to me. It's very, how can I get the feeling of traveling into a game? <laughs> and I think that sort of tells a little bit about what I'm feeling right now because I, I can't travel. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just wanted 
put shoveling in every game I have right now mm -hmm. because it's just a feeling that I can't get enough of right now. I think what I struggle a lot with and maybe I guess at least some players and GMs it's that systems don't usually have goals mm -hmm. built into them mm -hmm. a lot of the times. And you have this like amazing system for, I don't know, building spaceships. But like, what does your spaceship do? Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you have to do with your spaceship? You have no idea. And that's when a GM has to come up with, okay, you have this scenario, you have this story, you have this hook. And I... First, I encountered this idea of an RPG having a goal, like an end goal to it, is in the game Carapace. I think it's called Car Carapace. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it in English. Essentially, Carapace is a game by Tordevik. It's a game about bugs, sentient bugs, and you have to build a cannon to <laughs> destroy a marble statue. And that's that's the goal of the game, is defeating this giant marble statue. And when I played this with my brother and my family, it was such a like such a visceral goal. It's just the bugs just need to destroy the statue. <laughs> and I loved it about the game. And that kind of guided my decisions as a storyteller about like what what kind of mini goals I need to put in front of them to reach this final goal. And what um, the, the players also, I, I hope, <laughs> they had some... Uh, this goal also guided them and what decisions they were making in terms of narrative, in terms of where they're going to go next, in terms of why they have to do it, what they have to do. And... Yeah, I think having this goal changed greatly how I would play the game. Like, if it didn't have this sort of final goal, I'll prob I wouldn't probably even touch this game. Mm -hmm. But this clear epic goal was what made me sort of play so many sessions of it and kind of strive for this final showdown which did not come yet because it's a very hard game to play. Mm -hmm. But I hope will at some point. Yeah, that's what I want to replicate in 0.6c with the, the traveling, the goal. You have to travel to this location. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I think that there is a ton of heavy lifting that happens when a game doesn't give you an explicit goal. And when I think about, you know, Wizards of the Coast's sort of design model and business model is that, and I talk a little bit about this with Tyler Crumrine uh -huh. in an earlier episode, but how the expectation of the GM when you build a game like that is to take all the players' wants and needs, formulate it into an overarching campaign, and that can be a lot of work. And so Wizards of the Coast sells you things like Curse of Strahd, Rise of Tiamat, uh, Storm King's Thunder, right? It's like, hey, here's a goal book for you for $50 <laughs> oh, if you just want to pick that up. And you still have to do a ton of heavy lifting because not every book facilitates every subclass or every type of player or anything like that. What I like about having sort of a 
small noted single. This is also why I really love Band of Blades because there uh-huh. is a defined goal that says you have to get the Sky Dagger Keep. You're going to travel through, exactly. you're going to pick your path, you're going to go through all these towns, and the story is going to be the journey along the way. I think I'm very attracted to games that focus on the journey along the way and decide the goal for you. And I think almost to some effect, that's what D&D tries to do when it sells you those adventure books. It's about the journey to stop Tiamat. It's about the journey to stop the princes of the apocalypse, right? And I also love how subtly in your text at the end here in the box you almost give like a potentially proposed path right you're the group could go through the woods (laughs) then through the mountain then through the towns the lake the river and they'll find their way to the old kingdom right where (laughs) you could you could swap up that order you could change places like there's so much variability just with those five keywords alone to get to the old kingdom it's almost it almost very much feels the same as band of blades where it's like you could go through plainsworth and then go to either the sunstrider camp or the darish forest or the mines and that decides your path for the rest of of the game mm-hmm. so i i agree with you i think that when there is no present goal in a game or explicit wants from certain characters that it can leave, I think that's what leads to the meandering campaign, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it leads to the the fizzle out or the burnout of, you know, you're at 40 sessions, you don't quite know what the end goal is, and you keep making one up every new session, but then something else gets in the way. And, you know, for me as a designer and as a player, I don't think that's very satisfying. I don't like when stuff fizzles out because there's no explicit uh-huh, uh-huh. goal made present. So I really love that you've included that in your book, and I'm glad that you that you touched upon that. I think, yeah, it's a great to see not a trend. I guess it's a trend a little bit. Mm-hmm. I see a bunch of games with an explicit goals nowadays. Trophy Gold is one of them. Mm-hmm. Trophy Gold is about collecting a lot of gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's an amount. It's fifty gold. You collect it. Your character is retired. That's it. They reach their like retirement, I guess, with mm-hmm. the 50 gold they have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the end of the game. And also I see it with Into the Odd and the Electric Bastion Land. Mm-hmm. They have goals that are character specific with debt. So you have to clear the debt. That's, that's the goal of the game. Yeah, and a, a bunch of... Yeah, I see more and more of them. These are just like singular examples. But there's a bunch of games that have very like unique and interesting goals. And yeah, I'm just fascinated by this because you think of uh, role-playing games being very open and like mm-hmm. the word sandbox mm-hmm. and do anything you want, but that's not why I pick a system <laughs> to do mm-hmm. anything I want. I want to do this specific thing. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want to defeat the marble statue. I want to clear my debt with the spacing guild. I want to collect 50 gold for my retirement it's like these goals i think are yeah a great way to kind of focus your game onto a theme onto a structure you want it to have in this game the structure is like a journey Mm -hmm. but it can easily be anything chaos and space goblins by vegetability it's the structure is chaos. It's like destroying stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's the goal of the game. It's like 
having fun as goblins. And that's also a goal. Like a goal can yeah, can be anything, but I think it's important to have at least some sort of even a vague goal. It, it, would, it would be nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, to have a, a goal presently set in a mm -hmm. game, right? Even if it is very open-ended as, you know, destroy things as space goblins. While yeah, that's yeah, open-ended, yeah. it's still what the game is about, and it's explicitly telling you what it's about. I think some of the falter is when games don't explicitly tell you what they're about. Like, D&D uh, &D is about having epic adventures. Sure. Yeah, but like... <laughs> that could happen at level 1 or level 20. It could happen as as anything really like there's so many different variations of what epic is relative to a person's imagination right and that's sort of like you brought it up <laughs> but that also creates a sort of contradiction in what the players want mm -hmm. because when you don't have an explicit goal like that the players will set goals for themselves mm -hmm. some will like one player will say I need to return this magic sword to the wizard. The second player will say, I want to reach level 20. Mm -hmm. The third player will be, I want to like, complete my spell book. And mm -hmm. then you have three players who have absolutely like, different goals and the GM can't like, do all of them at once. You know? Right. And yeah, that's why you have this sort of meandering and fizzling out because everyone sort of wants to play a different game. Right. Because it doesn't have a goal. Right, right, right. I s I and that's what it. I wanted to move away from. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was my problem with the first edition of 0. Point, it's very hard to explain this. But 0.6e, it's called 0. 0.6 because it's kind of, not a pun, but kind of the idea is that Dave Arneson played D&D &D before D&D. So kind of the addition is before one, so it's zero point mm -hmm. six mm -hmm. before one. That that's the idea, but but the first, I didn't understand how hard it would be to keep track of the versions. Zero point six three, zero point six four. I have zero point six point six. It's like oh my god, what version is this? <laughs> uh, and it so the first version of zero point six e didn't have a goal. It was just like, yeah, do whatever. There's some combat, there's some magic, and there's some, like, you can go to a town, I guess. And that's it. And I, and yeah, I don't vibe with it right now. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, uh, it, it like gives you a bestiary, which I'm also not a fan of at this point. It's, it's like, I guess, go to a town and kill these monsters. And that's, that's not a game I want to make at right now. But yeah, what I want to say is that remastering game is possible. And that's what I enjoy about the freedom of itch.io. Mm -hmm. That also kind of like changed my perception about what games can be. It's they don't have to be rule book. They don't have to be like explicitly published. They don't have to be paperback. You can just, yeah, release a PDF and that, that's a game. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, this freedom kind of allowed me to remaster this game, iterate it over and over, and didn't have to like lock me in into, oh yeah, I made this game and it's not what I want it to be. I, I could transform it over, yeah, the six months and 
create something that I actually enjoy. Thank you, itch.io, for <laughs> letting me upload PDFs. <laughs> yes. Max, in this mm -hmm. section of the in the show, I usually try to find out what you're seeing in your sphere of influence as a game designer, or what your personal thoughts on different trends in the industry are. So, what are some trends that you're noticing that maybe keep reappearing on Twitter for you? That like, oh yeah, that is really interesting. You like, you keep seeing it from week to week. Maybe it's a trend you want to see go away. And are there any trends that you're thinking about that you would like that you would like people to go away from or that you would like to produce more in your games? Hmm. It's a very interesting question. I don't follow stuff a lot. Sure. Okay. I have a I have a Twitter profile. I use it. I'm going to be honest, I only use it for marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just post my games on Twitter and like if you if like if you just follow my Twitter account, you're just going to get my games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's essentially what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to keep up because I host not host, I manage a page that lists all the physical game jams on each.io. Mm -hmm. So I try to follow like what's happening, who is doing what jam. And that's, that's, that's the maximum extent to which I follow trends. I sometimes scroll through the physical games page on itch.io because I like seeing just random stuff pop up, like new creators, just what are they doing, you know, sort by new mm -hmm. and just roll the dice and see what it, like, what's there. And I found a bunch of like cool stuff <laughs> that way mm -hmm. that I won't just find... I know, browsing a Twitter feed. What are one of those cool things that you found? Like, what is, you know, in the exactly. last week? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the trend of idea games. It's the trend I'm kind of surfing on right now. Mm -hmm. It's a game that has a specific idea, and I'm like, okay, this creator had this idea, they wrote it down, and I can download it and view it on my computer. And it doesn't have to be fully fleshed out. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to have art. It doesn't have to have formatting. Mm. It can be this little piece that hmm. I understand and I can absorb and I can think about and I can get inspired by. And I think a lot of games, I'm a big, like a space sci-fi person. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of, games that view space technology oh there was one it's called Cassini but it's written like in a very weird way like Cass one and one like something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and it's about you draw a spacecraft on a piece of paper you talk about discoveries it made and how they influence the world and then you burn it <laughs> because it, because it enters atmosphere of Saturn and you burn it. And I think I'm just, yeah, this idea of making this act of saying goodbye to a, like a scientific marvel 
by burning a piece of paper. It's like, oh, I'm in love with it. <laughs> yeah, it, and, it's this mm-hmm. ritual, right? It's this really cool ritual the that ritual, you go about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you could say idea, ritual, games, they're all like exploring some sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. Games that let me do that, I think uh, is great. And I think anyone can make them because you sort of think about something that you do and maybe on a daily basis, maybe weekly, monthly, some sort of thing from your personal life, uh, maybe. For me, it was walking. That's my ritual idea game. Maybe you like reading a book. Maybe you like some sort of book. Uh, That's also a great way. And you think about how can I turn this into some sort of steps that people can follow and get the same feeling as I'm having right now. Mm-hmm. And just just this list, like one, two, three, my list was go outside, think about this place, come back home, <laughs> essentially. And yeah, that's a game and people can see it. People can have the same feeling as you're having. I think that's, that's, just, that's awesome about games is sharing this feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What? Yeah, we we spoke with Aaron Lim and Adira Slattery, mm-hmm. Slattery about lyric games and how those are sort of experiential style games. Um, Adira mm-hmm. goes into greater detail of oh, of how <laughs> those games are classified or categorized, but. It was the first time I've ever been exposed to something like that. Her game Mm -hmm. Chair is really cool in the sense Mm -hmm. that it creates a sense of dread and horror as you read the game, both as a participant who is sitting on the chair, but also as an onlooker who is viewing someone playing this game. (laughs) And when you talk about people starting to create these games that create experiences, and even Ten Candles is very much like that as well, where it's creating this sort of you know, it sets up the entire atmosphere for you with your only light are these 10 candles. And if they, once they go out, the game is done, right? Like you've met your end. And I, uh, there's just something really, really fascinating and cool about getting people to feel things rather than telling them how to feel. Because I think D and D and I know on this show, I talk about D and D a lot. (laughs) The things I, I, particularly dislike about it. And that's not fair. What I, I guess this will be the episode where I say D and D is a fine game. If you're into playing it, there's nothing wrong with that. This is my the opinion form. of art, right? Uh, of an art form. But I think there's this weird contradiction of when you first start DMing, you have to tell the player's characters how they feel or what they're doing. You have to mm-hmm. like force an experience or try to force an experience upon mm-hmm. the players, right? Where these games have sort of baked into them what does what what is this action or ritual that I'm undertaking and how does that make me feel, right? What is my result out of this game? My goal out of this game is to talk about how I feel at the end of it, right? And I think uh-huh. that I think that that's really powerful and really really cool to create an experience like that.
so Max, do you have anything that you're working on at this current time or something that you're thinking about creating coming up or a game jam that you're excited about? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the record collection jam 2K21. Mm. Very excited about that. I'm also creating a game, mm. which also doubles as an experience. <laughs> yes. Because I th I'm pretty sure about this, like 99% sure. Like the surest I can be, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I that I will be creating a hack of Artifact. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Artifact? I am not, uh, no. Okay, I'm going to explain it to you and the audience. Great. Uh, it's a solo game where you create an artifact, which can be a sword, it can be a deck of cards, I think. It can be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind this game is that you write down who owns this thing and then some time passes, and then another person owns it, and then some time passes, and then another person owns it. And this game is about the passage of time, the way objects can ha have some sort of history based on how they're used and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's a, it was the first solo game I played, and it, like, it really stuck with me because you actually have to sit through like a couple of minutes that represents like decades and millennia passing by. And the longer, uh, the longer period of time passes, the longer you have to just sit there. <laughs> and it sort of makes you think about time in a way I really enjoy. I want to hack the system and create a experience where your artifact is a cassette tape. Someone recorded something on this cassette tape and then it just left them. Maybe they forgot it or they passed it on to someone. Mm -hmm. Someone else picked it up, maybe recorded something over it. And yeah, sort of thinking about how music recordings can have a lasting effect on us as human beings. Because like, if I look back at recordings I made like years ago, I, like, it brings out an emotion in me and music that I listen to as a younger person it also like has a very specific memory attached to it so yeah I want to explore that in my mm -hmm. game there's um Dira and her spouse Fen mm -hmm. wrote a game called The Machine mm -hmm. which is sounds just like uh, Artifact to some extent, but I've not I've not read through it yet. But the idea behind the game is that you get this idea to create this machine. Whatever it does is is tracked by prompts and things. And the eventual end of the book is that you die because you either spent all of your time creating the machine or the machine kills you or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And then the idea behind the game is that you take that journal that you've been writing in and you pass it on to someone else along with the game and now they are taken by the machine. It's sort of like this lineage journal of, of a game. And I think just the idea of lineage slash time passing, for a long time I've been wrestling with a system in my brain about how to... Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I, I don't like about magic items in D&D &D is that they're always someone else's legend. They never feel like the <laughs> player's legend. So 
I wanted to create this system for a game where you would basically make a legendary weapon and give it like fame and renown as you played with it. And then you could pass that on to your next character or something like that in some Uh way and then change it over the course. So I really like the idea of you using this sort of cassette because there's so many things that a cassette can can have on it right music (laughs) speeches secrets right and it could be divided into tracks and then you could you could sort of do the same thing with even a journal of like you could record a really long sound file and then pass that on to someone and they could record on top of that like that would be wicked cool exactly i like when games use sort of objects that most people have like mm-hmm. a phone and your phone can record now and your phone can take pictures mm-hmm. and the this was wasn't always possible even like 10 years ago not everyone could take pictures with their phone and now it's more popular and i think like having your game use that kind of power that you now have with technology it's great for creating unique experiences and especially for voice recording, because I'm a very kind of like a vo- voice person, I guess. Mm-hmm. When I have, when I want to take notes, I usually make a voice recording first. Mm-hmm. When I'm like just walking on the street, oh, I need to remember to write down these four stats for my next game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just voice record the four stats instead of writing them as notes, because I think in terms of sound more than words and yeah that's why i think i'm gravitating towards cassettes and uh, recordings and music and stuff like that for my games when is when is 2k21 starting or over it's starting january 1st over 31st of january I'm okay sure so, about that. so it's the whole month of it's january. in the beginning of yeah it's in the beginning of 2021 mm-hmm. i recommend I don't know if it's going to come out in January, this episode. But basically, even if you like miss a jam, I think it's great to like, look at jams that were before that you might have missed. And if you just really like the premise of the jam, just, just make a game. You don't yeah. have to like, sub- submit to anything. Jams, jams are great because they're so great at presenting you with sort of... It's kind of like a limitation. Like, make a game based on music but it's sort of also like a seed that like grows into an idea game tree mm-hmm. <laughs> over time and yeah if, even if you missed it and it inspires you just yeah do it <laughs> yeah there's no reason not to i know that there's a there's a podcast who started just before i did called Unplaytested, and the folks over there, their Mm -hmm. whole model is that they have a big list of ideas for games, and then every episode is dedicated to taking one of those ideas and crafting it into a game. And I don't see why someone couldn't build their whole game portfolio off of just looking up old game jams and then just starting to really build out for that. It's not like, you know, you can't (laughs) submit to a past jam, but there's no reason that you still can't use the ideas that formulated and then innovate on top of that. You could look at all the other jam uh, submissions and you could look at all the other jam prompts and combinations of those and see what really sticks out to you.
people at home, would you give them a tip using the prompt of design? You're the first one to get this prompt, so. Design. <laughs> yeah, so the prompt is just design. What is, what is some helpful advice that you can give the listeners at home? I would go for like a perfect minimalistic response of quote, design games, unquote. Mm -hmm. I guess for a real, <laughs> quotes, real advice, mm -hmm. don't be afraid. No, that was already somewhere. Don't be afraid to put out games. Design with, okay, perfect. I have, a, I have an idea. Great. If we are talking about goals, setting goals in a game, mm -hmm. what, how I work, my personal like, design philosophy is set a theme and don't, like set this theme to be like kind of broad and direct at the same time. It's mm -hmm. hard to say how. My theme for 0.6e was friendship and let that theme guide you through your design process. So for example, yeah, as I said in 0.6e, it was skills, but I'm like, but my game is about friendship. So I'm gonna go with bonds. And stuff like that. I I wanna like have the theme guide you through the decisions you're making. If you have a choice between A and B, pick one that's closer to the theme of the game you have. And like strong thematic games, I think are mm, they're very good. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you have a Strong theme, I think it's... M if I see a game with strong theme, but like an okay-ish system, I'll think that's a great game because it has a, like a strong theme. I think strong theme is a... For me, it's a important part of a game I'm reading. I want to see how this theme is explored in, this, in different ways. If I see that every decision was guided by this theme and I can clearly picture it in my head. Mm -hmm. That means that that's a good game. And don't be afraid to let your theme change over your design process. Because yeah, 0.6c wasn't always like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it didn't have this theme of friendship. It had different goals and stuff. Don't be afraid to change it over time. If you don't like your theme, throw it away, get a new one. But kind of always have something to guide you through the process, mm -hmm. essentially. I think that's great. I think when you say that, and I think about my DMC game, I mean, the main theme for for it is just, I want the player to feel cool when they take their weapon out and they start smashing on some enemies. Like, I just want them to feel that. So I think it's something that I've been constantly considering as I make this game is like, okay, does this just feel cool? Not just like, is it a cool mechanic? But when I roll this dice and explain this thing, do I feel cool? Do I feel really cool doing this? So I think that's how to get that sort of rock and roll edge Lord of devil may cry into uh, <laughs> a tabletop game. It's perfect. And that's why I think it's cool to have, some media that inspires you. Mm -hmm. So if you're making a game, I also made a game called Ascii Delve, 
which was inspired by games like Rogue mm -hmm. and old DOS games. And yeah, for that, the theme was just make a game that feels like walking through a pixelated dungeon. <laughs> it, it's cool to have some sort of media representation in your head of what this kind of feels like. And adaptation is a great way to learn. Like adapting films, adapting video games to tabletop is a great way to learn theme and why it's like important. That's how I learned writing screenplays, adapting books, adapting short stories. It's yeah, that's my second tip. <laughs> Learn by designing adaptations. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I really think there's this big push for using intellectual properties as inspirations for stuff, right? I mean, to some ooh, if, ooh, hit me. The recent uh, light. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which was by Destiny by Spencer Campbell. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was it was Spencer creating. It was both Spencer creating light and this other um, creator, Andreas Walter, who someday I hope to have on the show, mm -hmm. but they are making a game called Hyperlight, or based off the game Hyperlight Drifter, but an RPG. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay. really, for me personally, I really love this set of design that has the theme of how do I make that video game into a tabletop game and feel the same. Mm -hmm. I think part of the challenge of that design is to make it feel not exactly the same, but have the same sort of tropes, themes, motifs about it baked into rolling dice and generating numbers that way, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. <laughs> That's the show. That's it. We did it. Max, I want to thank cool. you so much for being here today. You've been truly an inspiration to me and I hope to people who are listening to this episode. Where can people find you, chat chat with you? All of these links will be in the show notes below, Ooh. everyone. <laughs> Perfect. I'm on Twitter, MVMaxV, I think. <laughs> so, I'm very rarely on Twitter, so... Mm. But like, if you message me on Twitter, I will like get to it. Mm -hmm. I chat about storytelling, structure, anything. Mm -hmm. Also, it's the same on itch.io, it's mvmaxv. And also, I, s I mentioned it, I manage a website, uh, physical game jams on uh, card.com, I think. And it's a list of game jams, essentially how it started. I was... Because I was so inspired by game jams, I was like, where can I find game jams? Give me game jams. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't find an answer. It, like, usually it was just random Twitter for, uh, feeds, and uh, like it was very hard to find a single location mm -hmm. where I can sort of reference what can I do at this moment in time. So I like, kind of try to give back to the community that helped me like, get where I am by managing this uh, list. It's it's right now it's totally manual. Mm -hmm. I want to out automate it somehow. But yeah, if you find a game jam that's not on the list, just yeah, send me an email, uh, DM me on Twitter, and yeah, it's just a just a big list of game jams that you can join right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go make great games. <laughs> great, great, perfect. Max, thank you, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. We will see you next time. Say bye to the people, Max. Thank you so much for having me. Goodbye, 
<laughs> goodbye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. All right, that's a wrap. Max, you have shown me that you can do so much if you just run with your ideas and keep creating. I love your approach and the angles you take on your designs, and I hope to see more from you in 2021. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Max, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you liked the show and found it helpful, please send a tip my way over on Ko-fi. Or, if you are unable to donate, please consider sharing this with the person you thought of while listening to this episode and leave a review. Both of those methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you finally got your game off the ground and out in the world, you can tag me, at JeremyGage5, over on Twitter with the hashtag IDidIt. That's I-D-Y-D-I-T. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.